Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders focusing on transforming talented individuals into extraordinary teams. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks. Vicky's over in deeper stock stocks with Shah's in the Netherlands. So, Shah, what are we talking about today? Yeah, this is a great one. What a title. Kind Girls Can Get the Corner Office. So, that uh, is I, a good I, title. It's an excellent title. And our guest today, Rebecca Fox, is uh, very experienced in many areas, but this one I think she just has has an insight into. I love the title. I loved the, the thought behind this. And I'd like to ask you, Rebecca, to give us a potted history of your career. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, um, so I come from a small village in North Yorkshire, and I suppose when you come from a small village, all you ever want to do is get out of the village and sort of out into the big wide world. So uh, I did a degree in economics and politics at Bath University and also did modern languages. And then I joined uh, DHL in their graduate scheme, started out in there. So I'd like to say London, but it's actually more like Heathrow. So you're out <laughs> near the airport because that's where all the, the transportation takes place. Quite a male dominated industry I have to say at that time certainly and I gravitated I suppose towards sales that seemed to be a really good fit something I enjoyed and then after about three years uh, working in the London office I then went to work at their European and global headquarters in Brussels then I was really fortunate to take an assignment in Eastern Europe uh, and that was working in Skopje Macedonia but actually developing then sales teams in develop more developing countries and then I suppose I got um, headhunted still with DHL then to go and work at their Middle East and Eastern Europe head office in Dubai so I was there for a couple of years and then I think after 10 years at DHL it was really time to do something else and perhaps maybe follow my heart a little bit more so then I joined a, a small not-for-profit organization called Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply and I was there for about five years but I basically set up their office in Dubai for the whole MENA region. And literally when I started, it was just me and we had about 400 members. And then I built it up uh, until we we employed about 20 members of staff and uh, were making, we're actually the most profitable part of the whole organization. Then I went went back to the UK, I suppose life takes over, got married and had a, had a child. Uh, And in the meantime, I'd also done an MBA. And then after about five years in total with CIPS. I then joined the Association for Project Management where I am now and I'm the head of membership, which really I've got responsibility for sales and marketing. So all the uh, revenue generating activities and the marketing activities, again, managing about a team of 20, but really doing something that I really enjoy. Just tell us why that title, Kind Girls Can Get the Corner Office. Absolutely. In my career, when I was working for DHL and I was in, I was sort of quite a senior salesperson. I went on this training course and they had all the sort of seat, you know, senior sort of key account managers from across the region. And it was in Singapore in this lovely hotel. And this South African lady that was one of my peers, I guess, she had this book and she was sort of showing it to me. And it was called Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. So And so it was basically a book at that time saying, I suppose, to women like myself and and to her that actually you had to be mean. You had to pretend that to be something that you weren't if you wanted to get ahead 
Um, and I just remember thinking at the time, oh God, well, I'm just done for then because that's just not me. And I, I, you know, and then, and then she was even the saddest thing is, you know, she was actually adopting some of the lessons in this book. And I just, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't sort of take it on board because at the time I just thought, oh, I, I just don't have time for that. I'm just going to carry on. And I guess in a way, now that I can look back, it, it, it feels quite good that I can think actually, actually nice girls can get the corner office because I do have a nice office where I work now and I do have a, a really good job that I enjoy and a great team and I've sort of cultivated that. So you've got a, a, a nice corner office, you're just not able to use it at the minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. In these crazy times in which we live. So, Vicky, over to you for some background on today's topic, if you don't mind. Thanks, Sam. And as Shah says, we're so delighted to be talking about this topic today. And it's a, it's a topic that we haven't really um, talked about much before on, on the podcast. And it, it's a topic that we've kind of shied away from because I remember being at Citrix and Citrix always felt like a level playing field. And we we didn't. I never thought, oh, I'm I'm a, I'm a girl, and therefore I need to fight for my job. I just it, it just never occurred to me. And, and this topic really didn't come about until I've been at VMware for a few years, where again it felt like a level playing field. And I got asked to be part of a video about women in leadership roles. And thinking about it, then I was one of, of just a handful at VMware in EMEA. And, um, and the main message that I gave on that video was, it's about the right person in the right job. And so the, the whole thing of having to, to fight for the job, and, and as Rebecca's just been talking about, just never really, never really, I never realised the, the importance of it. So it's, it's great that it's now something that we're thinking about. So thanks, thanks Rebecca, for, for sharing your story with us. Great stuff. And Shah, you know, we've... Uh shied away from this as Vicky says how come we've not covered it in your opinion well a little bit of what Vicky said as well is that both her and I I guess are really privileged that it didn't seem to us that, that we had to think about this it just what we did in our careers just naturally happened but the one of the things that I think Vicky and I are always very conscious about is we don't like to be pushed into doing something because it has to be a tick box. So when we talked about diversity, we always thought about the right person for the right job. So if that was a male, a female, whatever, it was the right person for the right job. But again, you know, I think we were privileged and now we have to be conscious of that. And it's the right thing to do. Um, and I know this is about kind or nice girls, but it's just girls in general. We always think, you know, they have to be the right person for the job. And, and that's where I, I wanted to make a, a point here. Things have evolved, right? We're much more sensitive around diversity. What we say at the Amplified Group is diversity is also diversity of thought. So when we think about things we do, like having a 
team go through a DISC assessment so we can really understand their different personality styles and how they can work better together and how they can adapt. That's about having diversity of thought in your team as well as diversity of gender uh, and anything else. But it's about being conscious of it. So I guess, you know, as, as a, a female businesswoman, um, the reason we shied away from it is because we felt as though we didn't feel as though we wanted to keep hammering on about the fact that we were women and that we'd we'd got Amplified Group together because we were two strong women. We were just two people that liked working together and wanted to create a company. So I guess that's my point that I wanted to make there. I think that makes a lot of sense. From, from a, a, I guess, a business standpoint, I, and we've talked about this before, I'm a really big supporter of the idea of a leadership group being diverse and that you'll get, regardless of it being the right thing to do, you'll get a better result if you've got a diversity of backgrounds and genders and approaches. Um, I, I think something we should maybe think about is the concept of neurodiversity as much as any other form of diversity. Um the idea that you need people with different types of brains as much as you need people with different genders and different sexual orientations and so on. It'd be really interesting to cover that at some point in the future. Rebecca, do you think you could maybe start by telling us a little bit about APM? Yeah, sure, of course. So Association for Project Management, it's a not-for-profit organisation. It's an educational charity, essentially. We employ, I think, just over 100 people based in Princess Risborough in Buckinghamshire, and it, its whole raison d'etre is around sort of raising the profile and status of the project management profession. And it does that through uh, professional qualifications, membership, and uh, quite recently, chartership as well. Um, got about 34,000 individual members and about 5,000 sort of corporate uh, members. So it does punch above its weight because I think its influence is such that, you know, we've got probably a volunteer network, about 300 people all over the country that actually do voluntary activity in terms of events and CPD and writing articles and blogs and content and and so on. So it really is, you know, quite, I have to say, quite a satisfying organisation to work for and you can really see the difference that you're able to make. So, Rebecca, what challenges did you face early on in your career? So I thought, yeah, I thought about this question and... A bit like Vicky and sort of Sharon said, it, I never felt that, you know, being a female in any way was a particular disadvantage or anything like that. So in that sense, it wasn't difficult. I think perhaps the important thing for me was finding the right path to fulfill your potential. So I'd obviously joined DHL and their sort of graduate program, and that was really good. And I think if I'd have just stayed in the UK, I'm not sure I would have got the breadth and depth of experience that I then ended up getting. So I don't know what, I think it's that village thing that I said earlier that when you grow up in a little village, you just want to get out. So I realized that DHL was part of a much bigger company. So I thought, and I was trying to find all these other jobs. After about three years, I was ready to do something a little bit different. And then suddenly I thought, actually, if I can't find anything externally, let's look internally. And then I applied for this job at the at the European headquarters and probably, honestly, never for one minute imagined I would get it. But anyway, I did. So then off I went to Brussels and that was probably, that made a huge difference. So suddenly I was mixing with 
people internationally, a whole cultural mix. I'd, I had done modern languages at university, so I, I did speak French and Italian. But to be honest, you know, learning it and speaking it with real life people is a completely different thing. So I think that's something I would always tell people. And even I say that to people in in APM now that if you are, and there's nothing wrong with not being ambitious, by the way, we don't all have to go off and... Uh, Absolutely. If, if everybody wanted to climb the slippery corporate ladder, we, you know, yeah. we'd, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Absolutely. But I think for the people that do... I would give them a tip that I think you do need to get a certain breadth and depth to your experience and you can't just expect to stay in one organisation and move up because I think you'll only ever get so far. You do have to perhaps take that step and work in different places, different locations. But it's it's really thinking about, you know, what industry do you want to be in? What what geography do you want to be in? What position do you want to be in? What, what do you actually enjoy doing? And actually... I'll be really honest, And when I grew up, I don't think I really challenged myself enough because there just wasn't that careers advice. And if your parents didn't tell you, then nobody else really did. And then suddenly when I got to Brussels, there were suddenly these sort of mentors that and these role models that were actually, you know, willing to give a bit of guidance. So I think I really benefited from being in a big, in a large organisation uh, and got a lot out of that. But I do think, you know, finding the right path to fulfill your potential is quite important for people. And I was just really lucky that I found that. But I think you also, you make your own luck. You definitely do. So how did you stand out from the crowd? Okay, so I'm going to come on to something that I can only describe it as winning ways. And what okay. I see is that certain people just have winning ways. So I think a lot of us have... Uh, natural cap- natural capabilities, you can be a subject matter expert, you can establish your credentials. But the winning ways are perhaps the soft skills. And I think when I look back and I try to categorise it and, and also what I see in other people, is that I just think certain people have, have winning ways and it is all about people at the end of the day. Like, like I hear from Vicky all the time when she's done some sessions, you know, for my team. It, it, it's all about people. And I think, so there's a few winning ways that I think, I suppose in my own case that I've had and also that I see in others, but I think also that the key is to find people with different skills to yourself that you bring into your team. So in my own case, I can honestly say that I'm genuinely interested in people. So if I go to a networking event, for example, I won't do the classic thing that I often see other people do where they just think, oh, I gravitate towards who I think is the most important person. I could probably spend the whole evening chatting to who I thought was the most interesting person to me, and it wouldn't really matter where they were in the hierarchy. And then what I'll find is that you've then made a genuine link and connection and that relationship will will stick so it hasn't just been empty talk I just have a genuine interest and then when I think you are genuinely interested in people you actually ask them questions about themselves you find out things about them you find out what makes them tick and then in a business relationship in a business context you then understand start to understand how you can help them from what you can do in your organization or 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 what you can offer and again, I don't think that matters whatever level you're at in any organisation. So, and, and don't get me wrong, not everyone will have that genuine interest. Not everyone wants to work with people. And that's just why I like sales, because I, you know, I probably have a genuine interest in people. 
Then I think the other thing is I genuinely like collaborating with people and working with others and sharing ideas. So I don't mind if an idea isn't fully fully baked. I don't need a, a polished presentation, but I like some ideas and then I can I can work with people and, and we can build something even better and we can grow something and, and bring people along. And I think you have that enthusiasm. And I think the other one is probably persuasion. And I, I dare say it stems from the other two that I've also found, I've, I've never understood it when people have said to me, oh, I can't get so-and-so to do such and such for me. And I used to hear this a lot in DHL. I hear it a lot where I work now. And I, I think, oh, that's just because you haven't, you haven't won them over. So I think you have to win hearts and minds. And the way you do that is whatever it is that you want to do, you need to communicate that in a way that you say, oh, this is what I'm trying to do. Oh, this is how you could help me. And this is how it will help me. And this is how it fits in. And you're just telling that story. And I've always found that people are saying, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. Then I'll send you that data or I'll get you that file. And they'll do it when you need it. Because you often have to influence without authority or without um you know, forcing people to do it, if you like. And I, I found that at DHL, I, I, and honestly, I can't really explain how I did it apart from those winning ways, but I just had a network of people, probably because I was genuinely interested, probably because I would explain what I was trying to do. And and so I just had a net, almost like a network of people within DHL so that I, anytime I had a new project or I was trying to do something, I would know, oh, I need to go to that person in procurement, that person in finance, that person in IT. And they would all do what, you know, what I was trying to achieve because they got it and they genuinely wanted to help. And then when people came to me, I would I would be exactly the same. I genuinely would want to help people. Now, don't get me wrong. Not everybody can win you over. And there would be other people where I would feel, oh, you need, they're just not genuine. I don't trust them. And then I, I probably just wouldn't naturally grav, gravitate towards them. So I think you tend to build networks, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally, you will build networks of sort of like-minded people. And Vicky's probably one of those. Then I think the other thing, the final thing I would just say is about this sense of urgency and wanting to get things done. So, you know, when you do these personality profiles, they always come out as this kind of activist type. So it'll just say, and I can see it completely that if I think something needs to be done, my mind is already thinking, all oh, right, we need to do that, 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 and that, and that will achieve that. And then I know who I need to ask how to get it done. I find it a bit frustrating how other people don't see the same thing. But that's when, again, you have to win hearts and minds. You have to win people over. You, you have this sense of urgency. And I always have this saying that, you know, if you want an omelette, you want it for breakfast, you don't want it for lunch. You, you have to get it done, you have to deliver. So if my boss asks me for something and she says, I need it by next week, you do it by next week, you don't give an excuse, you find a way how you get that done. What that's just made me think about is you, you, you're leading and you're going somewhere and you're inspiring people to come along with way. So what you've naturally done the whole time, I didn't know this is kind of how the conversation was going to go, but you've, You've naturally been building teams, haven't you? That's what you, you said. You were collaborating with people and bringing people together and networking with them and figuring out who else you needed to bring in to, to achieve what you needed to do, but in a, in a very collaborative way. If I just play back 
what you've just said. Yeah, and I I can honestly say I probably didn't even realise. It's only when you reflect back. So when I built up the, I suppose, the the business in SIPs in the Middle East, I I didn't really realise I was doing it, but I just seemed to have, I just seemed to know, oh, right, I need to go and talk to that person. I need to go and talk to that person. They can help me do that. They can help me do that. And I I would just be able to win people over and don't ask you know and it, I think it is just that genuine passion and people then people want to help you and you actually want to help them and you don't have any hidden agenda you're not trying to do anybody down when the water rises and all the boats rise you know everybody rises don't they and, and that's the power of team but um oddly on the opposite of that I um I was I turned down promotions both at Citrix and at VMware because I didn't feel like I was worthy of the role or capable of the role. And in in hindsight, looking back now, I hadn't realised the power of teamwork because it didn't need to all be me. I didn't need to be an expert in OEM for example. I I just needed to to build I just needed to build the team to do that I didn't need to have all the answers and I think it's only in this last year even doing what we do now that I've realized the power of team is it's nuts so you're absolutely right you know you don't have to know it all yourself you can't know it all yourself no you can't yeah you, you just need to corral the efforts of a of a great bunch of people and, and it's a really it's a really good tip actually to an up-and-coming um leader particularly if you are you know we are talking about women here if you are female and you have that little bit of imposter syndrome where you think I couldn't possibly do that realize that you don't have to do it all you just have to galvanize that team which is exactly what you're talking about there Rebecca and maybe you do it subconsciously because you're so very good at it but other people might actually have to be more conscious of it and something you also said just then you use the word genuine uh, quite a few times and I think when you're really truly genuine other people will realize it so Mm. it's obvious you're not faking it because I've come across people where I don't trust them and the foundation of what we do is trust and if I don't trust them when they try and be overly nice or overly accommodating I don't think they're being genuine and I think they're faking it. So if you truly are genuine, people will know it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one of my bosses once told me about this sort of four matrix model. I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen it where there's basically a dog, a fox, an owl and a donkey. And it's, I think on one axis, it's around, I suppose, how genuine are you? How committed are you to the development of others and, you genuinely care about the organization you work for and on the other axis it's more you know how actually are you just out for yourself and so the i think the dogs are not very good at, at hiding that but the foxes are very are very astute they are good at hiding it but the owls are people that genuinely care about others genuinely committed to their organization the donkeys just unfortunately aren't good at any any of those skills sometimes i just had to say to myself yeah he's a watch out for him or her they're a fox Okay, I think he or she is genuinely an owl. And I just started to think in those terms a bit. And it's not like people are out to get you, are they? But but you've just got to try to be a bit discerning, haven't you? And when I say about being kind or being nice, it doesn't mean being weak or being a pushover. Don't get buffeted by the waves. 
So what was your first experience as a leader? Yeah, so interestingly, probably at the SIPS MENA office. So at DHL, you have a lot of support around you. And I, and I think you have had a huge access to a lot of development opportunities. So, you, you know, you go on a huge amount of courses, you have all this development, you have you have good managers and leaders. But then suddenly uh, managing the Middle East office for CIPS, I think that was that was probably quite a big challenge because suddenly you have this team of people quite inexperienced and you you have a vision, you know what you want to achieve and you want to grow it. Um, you need to get revenue in. It's as simple as that because, you you know, as you all know, you can't, you can do lots of things, but there are the fundamentals, isn't there, of having a business which you actually need the, the cash flow and the money to then be able to do other things. So it's, so I think it's bringing along people along to that vision. Um, and interestingly, I'm probably facing a similar situation now that uh, where I work now that our revenue has probably gone back because of COVID and people not doing as much training and, and qualifications. Yeah, we've gone back probably about three years as to where we were revenue wise. And I was just saying to the team, it's probably now about going a bit back to basics that focus on the revenue. And sometimes you can have really nice conversations with your customers, can't you? And you can be telling them about all nice things about uh, latest research and et cetera, et cetera. But, but we've also got to be looking at the data and asking those hard questions. Oh, have you noticed that, you know, you haven't got as many members now or as many, done as many qualifications? Can I ask the reasons or how can I help? You've got to be asking the right questions. And so that, I think that's the hard thing because often I can easily do it myself, but you, you can't do it yourself. You've got to get others to do it. So it's trying to help them get over those fears as well. Because I think people often in sales, they don't like asking those questions they'd probably rather ask all the other questions around that but not not the cold you know the, the cold hard questions that are about about the cash but that's what we all need it's funny I was having a conversation with a client this morning on exactly that they were talking about their customer reviews that they have and how the team merge the difficult questions into the easy questions and then the difficult questions get lost and actually, that doesn't achieve what you need it to. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And, and the thing is that customers don't mind that. You know, you'd rather, it's not a problem. It's just our perception, isn't it? And yeah. and you, I always say to people, you know, you can be hard on the facts, soft on the people. So you might think, oh, I don't want to ask about that. But if you ask in a, in a nice way, open question, people don't mind that. It's you being honest and open and, you'll probably have a really good conversation about it and you will probably build a really good, productive working relationship. And there's always usually something that they'll want from you as well. Rebecca, when when we've spoken, and certainly my first meeting of you, I remember it so clearly and just how authentic you are and how natural you are I've, I've got a, just a story to share there so way back in the day so this must have been very early 2000 so I'm thinking like something like 2003 um, I was working really closely with Microsoft and I remember one of the leaders at Microsoft telling me about a program that Microsoft was um, 
was running and what Microsoft Microsoft wanted to get more women into leadership positions but what they'd noticed was the women that were being promoted that they used to describe the culture at Microsoft as being the blue shirt and chinos mm. and um, and what they'd noticed was that women that were being promoted had taken on this blue shirt and chinos mentality if you like so so actually what they'd realized was the women that were being promoted were behaving more like men than as women and what they wanted to do was find out how to promote women that could continue to be kind and caring and not saying that men can't do that as well but how they don't have to be this bolshy tough and actually um I've been working with a mentoring group of women recently. And one of those conversations, we were talking about this. And one of the um, one of the ladies on there said, so you mean I don't have to be a B-I-T-C-H? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you really, really, really don't. Just mm-hmm. be yourself. So Maybe just, Cheryl Sandberg has got a lot to answer for with the whole lean in message. Yeah. Which, really I, you know, I always kind of took to be, you know, try and be that, you know, traditional and pretty nasty image of a successful woman as a ball breaker and you know all that kind of stuff which is pretty horrible really yeah I mean I remember going to a meeting and and somebody leaning across the table a woman and banging pumping her fist on the table banging and I'm thinking oh crikey no but I think the point as well here is that there's that fine line between being assertive and being aggressive isn't there and 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 allowing that's a really good way of putting it yeah, and allowing yourself to be assertive and not being guilty about being assertive is something that, that we fight against. You know, am I going to come across as a bitch <laughs> if I am assertive um, and, and give yourself permission to say, no, I, I'm just going to say what I think because I think it's the right thing to say. Rebecca, just talk to us a little bit about the importance of being you, because you kind of touched on it in in the introduction when you talked about why we were calling this podcast what it is. Yeah, so I think there's there's probably three things, I think. So I think the first thing is, you know, don't be afraid to be yourself. I do think times have changed. I'm quite sure I think when, you know, when all of us started out our careers, it was perhaps a bit more cutthroat and you had perhaps you were expected to behave in a certain way and to get ahead you needed to behave more like a man I think that's all changed and this isn't just for women either is it I think there's still so much more work to be done around diversity and inclusion if I think where I am from in the northeast as well I can sort of think did I have a privileged middle class upbringing and actually I'd like to see more people from all different backgrounds um, make it as well so I think yeah be yourself Then the second thing I would say is just establish your credentials. So so I did my degree and I realized that it it perhaps working in business, working at DHL, I I remember thinking, sitting in some meetings thinking, I don't really know what they're talking about. And I had to go and look things up, quite basic things. And so I just thought, yeah, I need to do an MBA course and that will just give me a bit more of that credibility and it was just that done thing at the time. So I went and did an MBA course and that really did help a lot. Then I think the third thing is just, you have to be more confident. Don't doubt yourself. Don't be tentative, be more confident. People like confident people. People genuinely, I think 
the majority of people want to see other people succeed, not the other way around. So do be confident. And that's something I've always struggled with, you know, being brutally honest. It's, I've always found it hard. But when I see, and a bit like I think one of the questions you've got down here is about, you know, what's it like, the sort of balance between uh, being a full, being a mum and, and working full time. And I think that is where a lot of women, unfortunately, do fall out of the workplace, isn't it? Because they... Uh, they don't come back full time or they their confidence takes a knock. So that's something I'm really conscious of. So when women go out and might, you know, leave my team or even the organization, they go on their maternity leave. I always say, and they'll, they'll, I know they've got some insecurities thinking, Oh God, is this it for me now? And, and I always say to them, you know, you'll be back and it won't feel like you were ever away. And this is a natural thing, you know, please. And I just wish society wouldn't make it like this either or choice that you either go off and be a mum or or you have a career you can have both and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever and it's actually a good thing you'll be a good role model and you just have to make it work don't you you need the support networks around you and the all the after school clubs and again you shouldn't feel guilty and I think I always say think back how many memories do you actually have under the age of five or six you, you, so do you know that you were you had a nanny or you went to nursery full time? You won't remember that. Your kid will never remember it. And yet we still feel guilty. And I think there is that societal pressure. But I, and honestly, I don't think men feel that that same pressure. I certainly know my husband you know, doesn't. So we've just got to get over it a bit and just be kinder to ourselves. This, this particular man did, but I, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, I think generally speaking. Yeah, they won't um, and they won't know any differently. You still love them. and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got a little story behind that, actually, which um, you talked about guilt. I remember as a working mum, you know, my son's at the other end of the spectrum. He's 25 now, so he's a grown man. But, you know, I did feel guilty because I, I remember, you know, toying with should it be QBR or coffee morning? Because I would be at the at the school gate and the, the women there in their in their fancy cars would be saying, oh, come over for coffee, darling. And I'm like, I can't come over for coffee. I'm prepping for a QBR, for goodness sake. You know, different mm -hmm. world, entirely different world. And, and I had to set my son rules of engagement, which sounds really quite cold, but, you know, he knew when to come into my office and when not. He could see if I was on the phone. We had a glass door at my office. It's like, can I come, mummy? No, I can't come in. And it didn't do him any harm. I'm so proud of him. He's such an amazing human being. And, you know, he has such a a, a, a a presence when he comes in the room and and Vicky said something lovely she said the other day that he's got a really wise head on his shoulders and I and I think he has and and I don't think it would have made any difference if I nursed him till he was six um or or if I I went out to work and did what I did I think he would always be that person but um I, you know I did have so many years of terrible guilt um but um I'm so glad that uh, we can share this with other women that are thinking should I be at home with them because to your point they don't really remember that they don't know and they won't know any different and I'm not even sure they'll appreciate it so my no. own, of course it's horses for courses but my older sister when she had her two children she did give up work she, gave, she started out as a lawyer and then she, she gave it all up and her husband had a very good job 
But, you know, God, one day, I think when her son was about 14, he turned around and said, oh, we'd have more money, Mum, if you went out to work and Dad didn't have to do it all. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> can't win. Whichever way you do it, you can't win. And I just thought, no. oh. That's interesting. I think I would have very happily been a stay-at-home dad had things yeah, worked exactly. out differently. You know, it, 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 it wasn't financially appropriate, but, you know, I made the effort to be there for Iris as much as possible. You know, it helped help being close I think the most important thing that you can do I guess is live close to the office or or, or office close to where you live um you know work from home where possible I'm hoping that maybe the flexibility in working patterns that it feels like COVID has enforced upon us will mm-hmm. maybe help with that stuff you know not just for for women but for men as well who I think so you know want to get, you know I, I, you all know what it's like with a busy work life because you've all been there but you know I was probably home for bath time three nights out of five during the week I don't think that's a bad return really and I probably good. I probably had breakfast with Iris three mornings out of five so it yeah. can be done it's bloody hard yeah whereas but, my commute Sam was an hour and a half to VMware yeah. it was yeah. 53 miles one way so I was never home before seven but yeah you know, but I also know <laughs> I would have been a terrible stay-at-home mum my kids I just haven't I haven't got that imagination and ability to do craft in the way that my nanny had my kids had a fantastic time with them but I'm now I've loved this year getting closer to them and being being at home with them I was just saying now now they're a bit older and a bit bit further further down the path yeah I bet you're the best mum in the world you know some of your life experiences Ooh, I'm you, not sure you, my 12 well, year old would say that <laughs> no no well a teenager's never going to agree with that are they no chance but you've got stories to tell haven't you that if you if you hadn't done what you've done you wouldn't have those stories and you wouldn't be you no they, yeah. I'm sure they will appreciate it yeah. and when you overhear your child telling their friend about how proud they are of their mum because she's travelled and she's done this and she's been there and involved in that and she's you know got a great career. It's 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 heartwarming. It really is. It it makes I'm, it all I'm, worth. I'll never forget Iris coming up to me and saying, "Daddy, I didn't know you were famous. We googled you. She had a friend around. We googled you and we found you had recorded some videos. You're on YouTube. You're famous." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. And she yeah. was showing her, showing her friends, going, that's my daddy, that's my oh, daddy. I was I, I know, interviewing a chat from Microsoft about cloud computing or, or something <laughs> like that. Something no eight-year-old had any need to know about at that point in time. <laughs> but I just thought it was kind of key. So you didn't make it as a rock star, Sam, but you made it as a hero on Google, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That was my that was Rebecca my original career choice was to be a rock star. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of comfortable with how things turned out if I'm honest. So Rebecca, what would your what would your three key takeaways be for our listeners then, please? Yeah, so I suppose key takeaways. I think I might have said them earlier actually. Um, but I think yeah, don't be afraid to be yourself, be your genuine self, and bring and. And I suppose in that, sometimes you have to show a bit of vulnerability. But as long as you show vulnerability to people you trust, I don't think, I think genuinely you get that back and that's how you build, you know, real genuine relationships. Show a genuine interest in people. Establish your credentials. And that might give you that inner confidence 
And then just don't doubt yourself. Because I think as we all just somehow, it's human nature, isn't it? We, you might do 10 things right and one thing wrong and you'll dwell on the one thing wrong, not the, not the yeah. 10 things right. But I, you know, I think that's men and women as well. I'm coaching a, a guy at the minute who is an absolute genius, but he doubted himself. And now he's got his confidence back. He's absolutely flying. So I think that's men and, and women. Yeah, they were three really good pieces of advice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, probably told, I've probably told you before about Martin at, at Softcat and his insecurities. You know, one of the absolute... Yeah titans of the it industry i'm sure he'll absolutely kill me if, for describing him with that if he if he ever heard me say it but it's absolutely blooming true and yeah you know, we do our soft cat kickoff and there'd be you know towards my the latter part of my time at soft cat 1200 people and he would be i believe the expression is absolutely breaking it beforehand <laughs> and he had he had moments where he seemed to lack lack confidence in his own ability despite being absolutely bloody brilliant and the moment he got out there you know he had the audience in the palm of his hand mm. so it's really funny how people have these mm. lacks of confidence it's healthy because i suppose if you ever do lose when you lose that fear perhaps you get cocky and complacent so i don't i think sometimes it's quite humbling isn't it to always have that because you want to do your best yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. It make it feel any easier when your heart's pounding, does it? <laughs> so, Shah, we best go over to you for Hero Time. Hero Time. I, I am one day going to sing that and embarrass everybody. Um, yes, yeah, so Hero Time. So for our listeners who are regular listeners, they'll know this, this slot for sure. Uh, but this, uh, Rebecca, for your information, is where we ask our guests what who their hero is, uh, maybe somebody that has influenced them throughout their careers or, or indeed their lives. And we base this on the fact that our uh, brand at the Amplified Group is called Hero. He wears a cape and it's about making our clients the heroes. So uh, with that, I'll, um, I'll pass it over to you. So I suppose it's perhaps not an unknown hero. So I think if I had to answer that question, it's got to be Nelson Mandela, because I just feel that he is, he does probably epitomize kindness, generosity of spirit, and that real um, understanding of, of human nature. So, obviously, when he was incarcerated, he just had that resilience, mental resilience that he could go into his own mind and, and, and still feel human. But then, of course, what he came when he went, when he came out, you know, he didn't have any bitterness. He didn't have any rancor and he, he just had, I think, that genuine kindness of human spirit that you don't always see that often, but it, damn, it can make a you know, big, big difference to the world. Um, and perhaps, you know, just how he brought people together. And I think sometimes when you watch, if you want a good film to watch, Invictus, I love that film. Um, yeah, just a great person. It'd be just great, I think, to to chat to him you know when you get asked that question who would you have to dinner I think he'd be one of them so I think he is my ultimate hero and just yeah you can be kind and you can get ahead and you can be good and you should be good and you should be kind super thank you like that I like that I've I've always felt niceness is underrated (laughs) I've, I've always I've always thought you didn't have to 
stamp and shout and bang on the table to get ahead. So it's good to hear that. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if perhaps karma really did exist? I'd like to believe it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not convinced. But yeah. still, I go back. I do, I can, all, I can honestly say that I don't think it's karma as such, but I, I suspect when you give out positive energy and you, you do positive things, just you're less likely to have negative things come back and more likely to have positive things. It's not necessarily karma, but I do think it's just yeah. what you give out tends to come back and you attract. Treat others as you want to be treated uh, you, yourself. You attract good energy. Yeah, I, I think Maybe. so. Yeah. yeah, I think that makes sense. Really interesting. What a good way to finish. So thanks, Rebecca. That was really, really interesting. Enjoyed that. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. So it just remains for me to say thank you for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. Your comments and your subscriptions, as always, gratefully received. And we'll see you next time.